David said to the giant, You have come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So David not only defeats the giant, but he does it in the right way and for the right reasons. Today the Lord will deliver you into my hand, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. I tend to view this story as a little quaint little story between two people a long time ago. But in the eyes of the Israelites, this was a struggle for their very existence. Goliath sums it up succinctly. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So the showdown between David and Goliath meant that either the people of Israel would remain free or that they would be slaves again, just like they were in Egypt. So when David fells Goliath, that makes David a real hero, a bona fide hero. His victory, or shall we say, God's victory through David, brought nothing less than salvation to God's people. So this would remind you of what God had done when, the, when God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. Back then, it was God using Moses to fight Pharaoh. Now it was God using David to defeat Goliath. In both cases, it is God's work God's salvation, God's victory. In the case of Egypt, the people were enslaved for 400 years. And in this case, with Goliath and the Philistines, Goliath came out and presented a challenge morning and evening, every day, for 40 days day after day for 40 days, and Goliath's presence was taking its toll upon the morale of God's people. As it says in verse 11, the people were dismayed and greatly afraid. So I would suggest this morning that we take this very familiar story of David and Goliath and reflect upon our current context of being church in 2012 in the United States. I'd suggest to you that we here in this church, in the church across the street, and churches all over the United States, that we are in a period of those 40 days, much like the period of the 40 days that Goliath challenged God's people back in the story. Perhaps instead of 40 days, we might think of it more like 40 years. 
for the past 40 years in church life have seen dramatic shifts, lots of changes. In my lifetime and in most of your lifetimes, the church is radically different than it was in the 1970s. Back then, people came to church because going to church was the thing to do. Parents sent their kids to camp. There were church potlucks. Youth came on Sunday mornings and sat on the front rows. The, the churches talked about expanding their buildings and their campuses. There were expanding staff and their ministries. There was a sense of belonging, and everything felt right. It certainly felt that way for me as a young man growing up in church. And then around 1980 or so, Goliath and the Philistines showed up. At first it was tolerable, but day after day, year after year, there were signs that things were beginning to change. Church attendance steadily declined. Instead of going with our kids to camp, we bring and bring food to a potluck for after church. We now go with our kids to soccer games and give them cupcakes to eat after the game. Church buildings that used to be comfortably full now seem uncomfortably empty. Church staffs are slimmed down. When someone retires, they are not replaced. And it's hard to find people to volunteer to serve in ministries. What we are experiencing in the last 40 years has been called a post Christian era, but it's more accurately called the post-church era. Christians are quick to protest that we are in a period of persecution, but in reality, we are simply being ignored. The elephant in the room, or perhaps the Goliath in our midst, is that churches are simply not important anymore. Christians, including many Christians on our own church rules, describe themselves as spiritual, but not religious, which just is a convenient way to say, I'm not coming to church. And just like Saul and the people of Israel, those of us who are still here on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights, it's been very easy for us to become dismayed, and greatly afraid. It's interesting to note that the word Philistine literally means sea people, which means they come from the sea. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the words that people have used to describe the events of the last 40 years in church are related to the sea. It's been described as a sea change or tidal waves. It's like a tempest that was described by Shakespeare. Day after day, Goliath challenged the people of Israel and mocked their God. And year after year, the Goliath of our time has challenged church folk and are now beginning to ask us, as in Psalm 42, where is your God? Well, just like God called a leader like Moses to bring the people out of Egypt, just like God called a leader like David to face the challenge of Goliath, 
God is preparing a David to meet the challenges of our day. So our job is to prepare and to nurture that David, to not be dismayed and greatly afraid. We are not victims. We have a firm faith and a trust in the God of Israel. So like David said to Saul, so we again say today, let's no, let no one's heart fail. God is preparing for another David, and I suggest that our role is to plant seeds that God will harvest in the future. Remember in the story, David took five smooth stones from the stream of water. And the way I see it is that we too have five smooth stones that will keep us focused on what God is doing and prevent us from falling into despair and into fear. There are five key ministries that help us in this church live with purpose and with hope. The first stone is worship. Nothing is more important, despite what Goliath is telling us. Our second stone is our youth ministries, especially as they are carried out on Wednesday nights with Wednesday Night Live or All Church Night or whatever we call it, youth mission trips. This is a key ministry, our second stone. The third stone that we use is Emmaus Cafe. It's a hands-on, justice-oriented mission with vital partners across our community. Our fourth smooth stone is the Deacon Prayer Card Ministry. This ministry provides a deep nurturing of prayer for others. As much work as it is, I've never heard any deacon say that we should not do this ministry. And the fifth smooth stone that we have is our pastoral resident program. Our work last week in interviewing Patricia Green proved to us as a church that this is a very important ministry for us here. And our church is behind it 100%, helping to train new leaders for the next generation of Christianity. So with those five smooth stones, it is our joy and our responsibility to remain focused, to remain focused on God. And by God's grace, we will fulfill our mission here in this place, which is to impact lives for the next generation. All we have to do is to remain faithfully committed to our five key ministries, because what our five key ministries are doing, they are nurturing the next David. So when you help to plan and to lead a worship service, you are modeling for the next David what it means to praise God. When you take youth on a mission trip or share highs and lows with them upstairs in the youth room on Wednesday nights, you are creating a safe place to nurture 
David. When you are planning meals and shopping and prepping food for the Sunday noon meal downstairs, you are feeding a child who could be the next David that God will use in the church. When you are laboring over yet another prayer card, you are offering prayers for David and his family. When you visibly support our pastoral residents with your time, your money, your energy, and your prayers, you are raising up a new generation of leaders, and one of them could be the next David. So whether we have 200 here in the sanctuary on Sunday morning, or whether we have 20, people are still wondering. The question is still the same. Is there a living God? We all know about Goliath. That's never been the question. The question is, is God for real? Is there a God who can, like Samuel's mother said, can bring life and bring death? Is there a God like Jesus' mother saying, who can bring down the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly? Is there a living God? Well, David believed that there is a living God. I believe that God is for real. And you believe, I know it and I've seen it in you. You believe that God is for real, that there is a living God. So, in of, so instead of hanging on for dear life, instead of being in despair and in fear, our posture needs to be more like leaning forward into the future and giving ourselves for the next generation, for the next David. Because somewhere out there is David. God is preparing for him and for her. And if God's mission, if that's what God is doing in the world, then it's pretty clear what we need to do too. So let that be our mission as well. And let it be so for us today and tomorrow, our hope for the future.